Gentlemen, James Marshall here. Now today, I decided to interview Shay Matthews uh, to discuss some of the finer points of meditation, its interface into your lifestyle, sexuality, relationships, worthiness, and a whole bunch of other stuff. Really, we just had some ideas and we thought we'll just chat about them and see where they go because once Shay and I start ranting, it gets deep. Welcome to the Natural Lifestyles Podcast with your hosts, James Marshall and Liam McRae, where we will be diving deep into the issues of modern masculinity, seduction, dating, lifestyle design, sexuality, psychedelics, you name it. This is the Natural Lifestyles Podcast. Shay, how you doing? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Looking, <laughs> looking forward to a good old chat. A uh, good old rant with Shay in our shorts on a hot summer's night. So we were, we were having a chat earlier about meditation in relationship to everything other than being a monk. <laughs> so meditation that is functional, practical, and how that works with being a man who has ambition, who is worldly, who you know, wants to pursue women and possibly wealth and fame and success and other things like that. And so I thought it'd be cool if we chat about some of your ideas in terms of mission, purpose, the alignment of your spiritual practices with your worldly practices. So I guess my first question for you is, what is the function, in your opinion, of, of meditation? Because there's a lot of buzz about meditation, people say you should do it, you know, do 20 minutes a day. And, and I think a lot of the time people think, well, why do you do that? Well, it's to kind of be calm, right? And so, uh, or it's some religious thing. So what, what, in your opinion, is the, like the effect, the function, the purpose of, of meditation for, um, you know, a guy in the modern world? So it's a good question that uh, I think that meditation provides an opportunity for turning your awareness back upon yourself. So then you can transform the typical kind of process of, you know, your outward focus that is engaged in the world, you know, your senses, your mental and emotional kind of frameworks, which, you know, we'll get to are a necessary part of your experience, but to also like bring your awareness back to what is the underlying uh, function of your perception itself. So then, and, and of course that has many different tones and many different functions, like on its simplest, most uh, mainstream level, it's like, you know, just use mindfulness, be in the now, bridge some breath awareness, very functional, very useful, but, you know, I think it's, it's very powerful to be able to do things like using awareness, using relaxation, using breath to be able to shift your state into a more calm and functional kind of mental state. Usually uh, by essentially shifting the points of concentration, right? Yeah. So like, so instead of having your concentration into like a agitated idea and holding tension in your body, you're mm. shifting your, your focus to, okay, to my breath or to relax my body and... And it's often really, it is just, it's just moving the focus of the mind, mm -hmm. you know, which, which can produce profound effects. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if we're looking at it in terms of on a fundamental level, it's really a, a focus shifting tool. And then as we get more advanced with it, then it starts to become a focus shaping tool, you know, so it, it can take on more of an advanced function. So perhaps after you learn how to be in, be mindful and to settle the mind, then it might be more about directing focus for a particular kind of intent. And as we talked about, you mean you, you, you address that, I mean, there's often either the kind of, you know, the, the easy stereotype kind of views of meditation that it's either like something that you do to like look Zen and, you know, tick off your 10 minutes of meditation for the day, or it's something that you do because you're a religious fanatic or you're into some kind of voodoo or whatever. Whereas the truth is that there's a lot of gray zones in between. If the, the fact is that meditation is obviously very functional, it's very useful, it's very scientifically grounded, and it gives the user a range of, uh, yeah, positive, like, feedback and, and useful kinds of insights, depend, no matter where they're at on the level of their path. And it very much sort of depends on how you're directing yourself towards the practice. So I guess you could say it's one of these practices where what you put in is similar to what you get out. It's a lot about how you're setting yourself up towards the frame of the meditation uh, so that you're approaching it with the right kind of attitude. Because say, for example, is, you know, it can be can be easy to go and do meditation because you think it's the cool thing to do or because you think you need to do it or because you've been told to do it or whatever. Whereas there's a very big difference between, you know, going into an experience as a kind of a, I guess, a passive tourist trying to like do it because you think it's what you need to do as opposed to an engaged adventurer or someone who's curious, who's really like has a, a, a curiosity and a desire. I think um, yeah. when you talked earlier about the insights that you gain and you said that there's obviously a vast array of levels of what that insight might be, mm. I think really when people see their first glimpses, they get their first insights, that, that's usually the first impetus to lock meditation in as something that you see, okay, this is a lifelong tool. And like those first insights might be really simple, kind of gross, like or like obvious things such as you hold tension in part of your body. And mm. then because you've been so stuck in your head and, and not 
consciously aware of it, you've held pain and tension for years. Mm. And then changing that totally changes your life. You mm. know, the difference mm. between this and this is pain and relaxation. Mm. So, you know, that can be one simple but profound insight. Yep. And then, you know, as the layers go deeper, it can, can be starting to have the function of stepping back from what you perceive to be your identity, your ego, your opinions, your personality, and starting mm. to look at yourself from a more objective perspective, which mm. I think is something we'll talk about in a, in a little bit. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think it's really important to see that, that when you meditate, it's not just a thing to basically just calm the surface level of how you're feeling right now. Mm. It's like, you know, if I'm a bit angry or something and I meditate and I feel a bit less angry, mm. that's good. I mean, that has that, it will have that function, but mm. the, the, there's many, uh, many more benefits to this. And it doesn't pay dividends years down the track. It pays them pretty much immediately mm. and then continues to stack them. And some of them are not obvious too, because some of them are things like dealing with pain. Mm or dealing with boredom or frustration or mm. distraction because those things are common when you're meditating and it's very easy to think, I'm a bad meditator. Mm. It's like, oh, I'm bored and I hate this, so I'm mm. shit at this, so I shouldn't do it. Mm. So I think the insights, can't they? They're, some of them are like, oh, that's really pleasant or that really affects me in a good way straight away and some of them are unpleasant. Mm. But learning to start to be more objective and understand that, okay, this is a lesson, not just a, it's not just a, something I should be angry at or... or reacting to it's actually a lesson in becoming less reactive mm -hmm. absolutely well i mean it, it's a it's a, a an incubator an amplifier for experience you know i mean in many ways it's one of the oldest and most trusted uh devices for that it's interesting because i mean once again we could go off into a lot of conversation about you know the dissatisfaction of the the ego and the desire for the self to be like constantly engaging in various levels of of you know desire and fulfillment and and worthiness and engagement and significance and you know various levels of needs and stuff which is very biologically founded and and in many ways uh socially supported and has its kind of place within the grand ecosystem of existence but at the same time as we're talking about that there's also this kind of deeper thing of uh really engaging with yeah, what is, it, what is the underlying essence that, that's behind the system? And then also to be able to functionally work with it in a, in a useful kind of way. And I think that, that that can really set up a foundation for so much more in your life over the long run, of course, like you said. And I very much agree with what you said. Like a, it's like a fractal, a fractal practice that through the practice will show you so many aspects of your own microcosmic dealings with the world. Uh, and can unravel like a lot of things. And in many ways, it's a very patient practice in the sense that, and I'm talking about more traditional meditation, the sense of like mindfulness, Vipassana, kind of like bringing your awareness into the body and opening yourself to the pure state of mind. It's a very forgiving and a very patient practice in the sense that if you wish to partake in the stubbornness of your own suffering and the difficulty of your own ego, then you can sit on the cushion and do that as long as you want uh, in the sense that it's, you know, nothing necessarily bad is going to happen. You just, it's kind of a way to like, calm the ego by just tiring it sometimes you know by observing it and being with it and i know for example and i'm sure you can relate some of my well definitely most of my best sits were the, my most uncomfortable sits in the in the sense that you know of course it feels i feel like a hero when i sit and i'm comfortable and i'm just in the zone and i'm having play, like i'm in this kind of like zen star wars state of perfection in my like in my stream of consciousness connecting to masterful threads of of, of awesomeness and yeah universe. i want that how much does that cost so yeah sometimes sometimes it's, i have those kinds of sits and then other times you have the sits where i mean i'm itchy and i'm like uncomfortable and i don't want to be there and i'm sweating or whatever and i just like i'm thinking about a million other things and i have to constantly bring my mind back and settle myself and calm and like practice, practice, practice. Uh, and if I'm sincere in my practice of really just trying to stay there, even though I'm feeling unsettled, then I'll find that there's definitely a really positive compounding effect of settling that then echoes out of that practice. Right. Um, so even though the hour that I might sit or the half an hour that I might sit might feel really like agitated, the three, four, five, or even day after three, four, five hours or a day afterwards feels much more like soft and open and relaxed typically yeah. right and i guess within the vipassana tradition they talk about that as the unraveling of sankaras or reactions so that something like uh, sitting there and, and feeling frustrated so frustration is not like a biological urge so much it's not it's not like a thing went in my liver and created frustration it's that frustration is my mind's expectation of what it wants to do or be right now and it's not getting that and so there's, there's agitation within the body mm. and it's a practiced response and it doesn't just happen when you sit cross-legged for 40 minutes. It happens you know, in traffic or whatever. Mm. But the point being in meditation is like, it's not just for that 40 minutes or hour or whatever that you feel, you're supposed to feel like bliss and then you go about your day. It's mm. that you're going in there like a mechanic and, mm. and like tinkering around and scientifically observing what are you like? Mm. Like what is, it, what is it that you actually do? 
because I think one of the you know most profound things you get from meditation, as I said before, is that perspective where you step back and observe the thing instead of you know being inside the character. You step back and go, oh, okay, that's my character playing out, mm. playing out. It's it's repeated habitual patterns mm. the location might change the the violence of it might change or whatever mm. but oh, okay that's my frustration mm -hmm. and so within the sit you get to observe the process of how your frustration appears mm. what what it what it does and then what it effect it tries to have on you it's mm. like okay you feel the stuff and then it makes you want to scream and shout or jump up or you know mm. do whatever frustrated thing you do is mm. which then kind of releases that frustration and then it then you change the situation you get up and walk away and then it calms down and then you've repeated that mm. you, you, you've reinforced that so now that's okay yeah that's how i deal with frustration every single time mm. whereas when you're doing those deep sits and you're in the pain in your knees or the or they're like fuck this i don't want to be here or i'm never going to get anywhere or any of those frustrations that mm. are playing out in your mind mm. and even if it's just for moments where you step back and like you, you, you know it's like a ghost coming out of the body just watches this thing sh shouting at itself and then you let it do its thing and it starts losing power and, and dissolving even a little bit and so the frustration was a seven instead of a 10. And in that moment, you're in there as the mechanic and you change the direction of where this energy flows. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yep. And I mean, there's a huge amount of things to, uh, that are positive that come about from those processes, like rehabituating thought, rehabituating focus, rehabituating emotions, reestablishing different foundations for potential neurochemistry. Because I think the thing that is often misunderstood and it's something that's important to bring into the conversation is this is the idea is not just about being mindful, it's about being resourcefully mindful. Mm -hmm. Because it's one thing to be aware that you're, that, you, that you're shit, you know, or that you feel shit or that life is shit, okay? And that, okay, that may be one step removed from just being like the pure, you know, in the gutter, you know, experience of it. But then the next level is to recognize your position, like you say, to recognize that you're, you're able to observe your position, but then to be able to see it from somewhat of a resourceful light. So it's kind of like this position of like, and that's the whole point in my opinion, in terms of like, one of the real jewels or virtues or you know benefits of meditation practice is that as you really start to yield the benefits from actually doing like true practice rather than not just like sitting there trying to look like you meditate but like really doing the self-inquiry you will start to reveal increasing amounts of evidence of the transparency of self you'll start to reveal increasing factual felt sense knowing inside your body that this story of self and this engagement of thoughts and feelings and all the karmic patterns and all the rest of it will start to become unraveled. Even if it's just for a few moments when you're able to kind of see it clearly before it catches you again and then you're back in the trigger of the, of the, the machine getting pulled around for a while. But the, the point is that every time you kind of step out and you observe the nature of your suffering and you kind of get it, just even if it's for a few moments, like I said, the more you start to catch these uh, little sparks of, of, of choice and liberation. And that can start to move the mind in a different direction. And of course, then we start to open up the conversation of like, okay, you've learned how to sit still for 10 minutes. You've learned how to breathe and relax and calm the mind. Now you've learned how to kind of observe your mind. Now you've learned how to observe your mind with resourcefulness. Now let's move towards liberation, whatever that is. Like if that means like, you know, for some people that's cultivating some level of power in their body, for example. So it might be like cultivating some chi pathways and opening up channels of health and well-being or like, as you know, with qigong, like working up, working the alignments of the different aspects of self so that you can have a kind of an opening of higher capacity or whatever. So that's one aspect of a meditation practice. Or even think of it even more simply, it's just like it's a machine where all the pieces work together. Right. It's just like, uh, you know, because if your body's doing one thing, your mind's doing the other thing, then your focus is split. Right. So, you know, good qigong on one level, I mean, it has many levels, is, is simply like, okay, everything is, is together right now, thought, feeling, movement, breath, focus, and so therefore you're getting like this full immersion experience mm -hmm. of being present and here right now. Absolutely. Synchronizing, I and mean, it's like synchronizing self, you know, and because once again, it's one of these side effects that I, I perceive from my practice and have seen in other people that practice consistently, is as you, as, like I said, you yield this increasing knowing of selflessness, self selfingness you know so you move away from this notion that self is a static object or that there is some like little man that lives in your head who somehow like keeps all the script of your story and pushes all the buttons and pulls the levers and knows who you are because you know that's yourself so there's that kind of notion so we're moving away from that and more into the realization and the direct experience of 
I am change. Everything is change. My thoughts change, my feelings change, my emotions change. The attachment points of my identity can shift. The assemblage points of my perception is shift. My experience around me is shifting. And then starting to go into more of an engaged openness to that relationship. And once again, there's different tones of that. I mean, there's kind of like a, a, a there is a kind of an intellectual way of doing that, which is also, a, I mean, that's a good way to, to break things down sometimes, to see the kind of emptiness of things from an intellectual position. But then there's also the, the feeling place of that, of like noticing the interconnected uh, emptiness of things. And there's an interesting, yet again, it's, it's an interesting kind of space to start to enter into and opens up, once again, a lot of big conversations. But the point is that I think as people go into more of that direct sense of spaciousness, the direct feeling of the true knowing of who they are, then the potentials and the dynamics of changing your basic your paradigm of operating, who you are and how the world works can start to become very different because you start to realize things like, oh, I exist in the idea of somebody who has to do these things to get these things, but I'm not actually that story. And therefore, if I'm not actually that story, even though I might have to abide by that story now for a period of time, it is actually okay for a part of me to kind of detach and go exploring and see what else is possible. Because maybe I can be something I've never been before. I've just never considered it, you know? Yeah. And I mean, obviously that has very, very practical, practical applications. We see this with students all the time who come in to learn how to pick up girls and then come out meditating and quitting their jobs or, or suddenly realizing that they, uh, need to, they need to shift some aspect of themselves or they need to go and explore something that they've always thought was not them. Mm. Because even just giving someone the internal, not just intellectual, but as you've said, experiential permission to be other than they've always been, mm. to realize that, ah, oh, okay, so you've practiced a whole bunch of patterns for your entire life and you got really good at them to the point where you've convinced yourself and everyone else around you that, that, that that's what you are mm. permanently. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that changes is you get older, mm -hmm. right? Or get richer or get, you know, new, know a few more things mm. about that thing that you already are. Mm. Yeah, and then, and that, like, that roadmap locks people into a lifetime of whatever that is. Mm. And, and it might be good. I mean, it, sometimes it locks people into things which is, was a good life, but mm. it wasn't really a chosen life. Mm. It was one that was conditioned and scripted to them and then they practiced it enough that they, that they didn't need anyone else to help them to remember the lines and then they do that forever. Mm -hmm. And really what we are, you know, this company has always been about is acknowledging that conscious change is really difficult mm. because when you practice stuff you know, breaking, breaking very deep-seated old patterns that have all of this extraneous stuff that points back at you and says you are that, mm. and deciding to let whatever percentage of that go, and then start to stretch out and experiment with different lifestyles, different relationships, different career paths, different ideologies or lack of ideologies, like being able to just go, well, maybe I don't need to have a like a all definitive ideology that describes every aspect of the world. I can mm. just like start to explore through the world and see what mindsets might be useful as opposed to ones which are rigidly true and all others are false. Mm. You know, so all of these things, and it starts to just pull the plug out of one thing and often creates a cascade where people start to then go, okay, well, to question everything because then you become, then change becomes something that, that is almost, well, once you've opened that door, then it all becomes inevitable because <laughs> all, all you can do is either try and shut the door and, and go deeply back into your ignorance or, or your one solipsistic viewpoint, which is pretty hard to do when you've seen outside of it, or you have to follow that rabbit hole, I would say. Well, I guess, I mean, there's, there's two, there's another interesting way to look at meditation. Like you can, you could do meditation practice from the perspective of, you, of it's like ego directed meditation. So you could say like, I'm meditating because I want to refine my ego. I'm meditating because I want to achieve a, a more perfected ego. And there's definitely truth to the sense that like, you know, if you want to be a disciplined, focused, willful person sitting, meditating, emptying your mind, like, you know, directing yourself with uh, intention towards certain contemplative aims and, and, and doing things. I mean, that can be very beneficial to helping develop character, helping develop your egoic process. But then there does also come a point in any true meditative practice where you, you have to, to go beyond that ego structure. And that is definitely like, it's like a quantum leap in, in perception, especially the first few times that you do it, because it's a very uh, seemingly foreign, threatening and alienating uh, understanding to start to take on board because it doesn't exist in, uh, doesn't exist inside the, the egoic construct. So maybe it's almost like you have to allow yourself to lose your mind, but keep your sanity in this process. And as you allow yourself to lose your mind, but keep your sanity, then you start to reinforce this feedback loop of, it's okay for me to operate in this place that it, it is not founded on the mind's possession or control or domination of reality. It's undefined and it's 
And so you, you don't have control in that space, but learning to be kind of exist within a chaotic space allows for all these possibilities. And I think what can start to happen exactly is, is you start to get these kind of fuzzy edges in the sense that, uh, and, and I would say it's, it's almost like a, a sense of resourcefulness, like you start to open up a lot of these subtle pathways of exchange and understanding and feeling and trust and uh, and it also de very much depends on what you start doing with your practice. For example, if you're doing a very like cold, rigid, simple kind of like empty mindfulness practice to just see the pure like nature of your mind, then you may have some very deep and clear insights about the nature of yourself, but you may not necessarily have very rich, heart opening experiences because you might not be cultivating that particular aspect. And that's cer certainly I can relate to that. That was most of my practice in my 20s was looking at I wasn't really inter I wasn't interested in happiness or bliss or like tantric connection or something, I was really interested in truth. Yeah. And so like all my sitting was Vipassana and Zen and it was focused in on yeah, emptiness, observation of reality, trying to break through into uh, like, yes, an e egoless or selfless uh, understanding of, of, of everything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yep. So it's like, a, it's a very, it's a very austere and kind of lofty goal. And it doesn't take into account a lot of humanness, you know, which, uh, which is something, yeah, I, I was interesting to me as I, explore different types of meditation because I was often fairly rigid with my styles mm. early on because I was a purist and I was like okay you follow a tradition you commit to it and you you follow it to its conclusion mm. but you know as, as you and I went on different adventures around trying out different methodologies we came to see that there are, are different ways of meditating that have very specific functions and mm. in opening communication or opening your heart or sexually opening mm -hmm. uh, so yeah there's a lot of functions but I think it in order to reach those points, you really need a solid foundation in all of the, I mean, you need to be able to concentrate. You need to be able to mm. have enough quiet in your mind. It's not that you need to have a totally empty mind for an hour, like mm. good luck. Mm. <laughs> um, but, but, but being able to like step back from the noise and direct your mind to do certain things or to, to focus on your breath for long enough, you can keep, create a rhythm and so on, which then builds the stamina and the integral skills that you need to then take these things further. Mm. And ideally you will set up foundations in your, your, you know, your ability to sit and to be stable and to be able to, to maintain focus and to uh, also to have distinction in your mind between, you know, there is thought happening, but I don't have to be engaged in that thought. There is the emotion happening. I don't have to be engaged in that emotion. So then there can also be this, uh, this new thing which starts to happen where your will starts to be liberated from the experience of the thoughts and feelings and the feedback. And then you, cause, because once you separate that will or that observer, that kind of creative aspect of your perception, then you can also start moving into, well, what do I want to do instead? That's actually like the resourceful part. So it's kind of like, cool, I can... I can see that I'm suffering now on some level, but there's a part of me that sees that I'm suffering and the part of me that sees that I'm suffering is also resourceful. And as I'm resourceful, what would I like to give the part of me that is suffering or how would I change the situation from a position when I'm suffering? And you do start to get into some very interesting ideas because in many ways, if you want to start to explore deeper philosophical concepts or metaphysical concepts or other kinds of practical spiritual systems that are, that are more about uh, directing consciousness for purpose, for whatever that is, whether it be to make belief changes or it means to like trying to create effects in the world or to Levitate like, have, or have influence. Yeah, well, you got more, the, more, yeah, you got the more extremes, like, you know, people seeking to kind of do, um, you know, extreme acts or whatever. But there's a lot of subtle levels that are, that are, are very real, like, for example, uh, learning how to enter and work with your own landscape, your own inner landscape, like an understanding what is your own inner landscape. And if you've never done any of that kind of work, then it'll be just kind of a bit of a mess of unstable kind of imagination. But as you start to engage with your imagination more and you start to understand more of these internal frameworks, then you do start to engage in a different kind of language, an internal language, a subconscious language, and you can get to points where you are able to shift things inside yourself quite profoundly from another sort of place. So instead of like, Instead of looking at the world in, in the terms of like what a lot of people do, which is like, oh, I've got some problems in the third dimension, so therefore I need to arrange a bunch of things in the third dimension to like fix my problem. Instead, what if I go into the root of what's the, the underlying kind of reflection of it on the higher dimension or the fourth dimension or the fifth dimension or whatever. So I'll go into myself and I'll work on what's my relationship to this, this expression in, in, that's happening in the world. And it's kind of running on this theory, which is an interesting theory that in somehow, in some way, thought and consciousness and human experience is like some kind of holographic projection. And that's not a new idea, man. That idea has been around in Tantra. It's been around even in Zen. There's this kind of notion of there's an emptiness and even in the notion that there's a kind of a godliness, you know, like there's this divinity, this connective principle, this loving principle, this abundance principle, this resourceful principle. And I'm a particular fan of the da of yeah, Taoist, but yes, definitely. But also like the Tantric kind of view of it's a kind of interconnected 
emptiness. There is a whole series of very, you know, densely packed, conscious, rich uh, frameworks that are underlying our experience at all times. And when we sit and we meditate, we can start to go into those fields to a degree. We can start to resonate with those fields. And different people are ready at different stages. Like some people sit and they really don't have much of an experience. Some people sit and they have like some crazy experience. It's the same with, uh, you know, working with other things like psychedelics even. Some people have very profound experiences. Some people have very calm or subtle experiences. So some people just kind of built to kind of go. And some people need to like fire up a little bit more slowly. So you need to just work with what you've got. But the point is what I'm saying is you want to get connected to this resourcefulness and then yeah, then we can start to work with our liberation a lot more. We start to work with a lot of these different other faculties. And then you can do a lot of different things. I mean, really, like the, the potential of what you can do with consciousness is, is limitless. I mean, you can be working with, like I said, anything from psychological work, for example, like I'm going to rearrange my emotions and my psychology. And that's very much like an NLP kind of approach. And I can say that definitely like meditation benefits any NLP because you're able to stably like focus your mind and direct things and pay attention. It's very difficult to work with yourself or with anybody if your mind is unstable and, and can't hold on to concepts or be able to create and conceptualize feelings of concepts. So that's why, you know, sitting, meditating, working with the mind-body frame and the felt sense feedback loops of the mind-body frame with awareness. It's just like, it's so, it makes sense. It's like you're, you're developing skill of your instrument. You're developing like awareness of the glove of your, it's like your body and your mind is like the glove of your soul or your spirit or your awareness or whatever. But it's like, we've got to understand how does that thing work? Let's talk about it in terms of the uh, more specific effects in relationship to relationships, mm. men and women. Obviously we're dealing with guys who are, have levels of fear or anxiety around expressing their sexuality, meeting people, connecting with people, connecting with women. Mm. Uh, how is it that you think all everything you've talked about, because we're talking about things from a micro level of, all right, adjusting my breath and adjusting my focus, and now on this big macro levels of what that means in terms of your consciousness, consciousness in relationship to the universe. <laughs> so now let's boil that down to what does that look like in terms of choice points, adjusting emotional reactions, mm. say dealing with talking to hot girls or being with being with women that you find intimidating or being in situations where your your ego as a defense as in like your bluster or your arrogance or your need to prove yourself overcomes you and mm. ruins things for you or in the opposite end where you shut down completely and hide how is it that you think these these tools of of objectivity of resourceful resourceful objectivity of okay being able to go all right this is what's happening to me but now what am i going to do with it mm. How does that interrelate with those topics? Well, it's a good question also. I think because obviously being non-reactive and resourceful is a positive in any situation, uh, especially in a context where we're talking about socializing. And there are so many interfaces also yet again, because first of all, we need to talk about the fundamental thing, which is we, we've already addressed in the sense that you have a perception and, and an experience of self. And that is something that you're always carrying around with you. And obviously that interfaces with people, that interfaces with women. That is the thing that you use to create relationships out of. So to be working on the understanding of self, refining yourself, improving yourself, like getting calmer inside yourself, becoming more resourceful inside yourself. In some ways you could say like it's a kind of a weird paradox of learning to simultaneously see the transparency and the emptiness of self, yet simultaneously building the belief in self. So it's like this kind of bizarre thing. And really what I would, I, and there's, no, there's not actually a juxtaposition there. In my experience, it's, it's more like you release the notion of a limited self and you embrace the belief in an unlimited self. And you start to actually directly experience that, which is very difficult for the limited sense of self to kind of understand initially because it's so used to having a worldview that can contain reality. Whereas what you start embracing and stepping into is like, well, my reality is bigger than my worldview. So I have to have a worldview that is open-ended and able to engage and work with something in this way. So which, as opposed to like the kind of egotistical or identity bound version of improving yourself would be like I will my muscles will look bigger and I will you know have a bigger cock and I'll and I'll be able and I'll say cooler things and I'll have a nice watch or whatever mm -hmm. and so you're you're imagining within the framework that you can understand which is like if I was to improve what would that look like well I guess it'd be bigger muscles and more money or something mm -hmm. that you could maybe possibly see happening within that small construct right but when you start to go okay well my awesome self in the future you know you, you might have an imagination of some flaming wizard with fireballs coming out of his dick or something, something that helps you kind of like reference that, mm. but it is nebulous and in flux because you're opening the possibility to be limitless. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So opening, opening connection and relationship to that limitlessness 
And I mean, that can change the game for any guy at any stage because it really, and in some ways it's about a switch in an abundance mindset, really. Like it's almost like in one set of reality, it's like I need to stick to my notions of constructive participation in reality based on my past. So I just need to maintain myself based on who I think I, I have been and who other people think I should be, who I should be according to who other people think I should be. So this kind of like feedback loop of like, I'm this kind of, you know, social monkey that's pinging its, my identity back on itself based on these constant reference points of the past. But Amazing we remember all the right moves and yeah. how I'm supposed to act with, with that monkey and with that monkey. <laughs> well, this is how adept we are in the sense that like, this is how much we're biologically zoned in and tuned in to like, actually operate from that place. So the unique, op the, the unique um, position to start to take is to shift from that kind of place where you're, you're doing that into more of a resourceful place where all of a sudden you're able to connect with you know, a lot more you know, a lot more choice and a lot more capacity and a lot more, I guess, connection to the deeper aspects of yourself. And I think what can start to open up then is, is a very different kind of, yeah, definitely set of choices and a definitely set of freedoms. And, and I think ultimately what can start to happen is the, is the, if you're lucky, if you do it really well, the underlying construct of this kind of limited ego self, which is, is very much caught up in these notions like I need to be something to get something. And often usually when we really look at it, it boils down to some kind of construct like I didn't get something, so therefore I need to overcompensate with something else. That's what the ego loves to do. So it's like, I was shit when I was young, so I need to be big and strong and tough now as I'm old. Or, I, you know, I was weak, now I need to be powerful. Or I was, I was ignorant, now I need to be smart. I, was, I wasn't lovable, now I need to be like adorable. So there's like this kind of thing. And then we often do see this with guys, for example. It's not that common, but it, it can be uh, un, not uncommon that guys will come in and say something like, I want to have this ability to be like, go in and like everyone in the party loves me and I can walk down the street and I can just pick any girl I like and she's going to fall in love with me, which is a really lovely fantasy to, that, to the ego in reflection to this kind of wounded, like, oh, I'm fucked and I hate myself and I'm, no one's ever going to love mm. me kind of like, like belief system. I become Austin Powers suddenly. Yeah, it's exactly. Like... <laughs> exactly. Because if that's the resolution. Yeah. And, and in some sense, it, it makes logical sense to the ego because it is a compensatory illusion to the ugliness of the other illusion. But what is the truth? The truth is actually neither of those things. So the truth is, is actually letting go of the attachment to both of those ends of the construct and starting to open up what is the actual like stable neutral reality here which is not this not that it's nothing in particular we kind of just get to vibe on it and see what's going to happen and we can kind of enter it with an intent with the position of like i want to try and make something happen but at the same time there still has to be an underlying understanding that like i'm not really like the boss here there's like there's something else that's going on that i'm participating in and then it becomes much more of a playful co-creative kind of engagement as opposed to a kind of egoic like invested control uh, frame, which has a huge effect because if we really make it simple, bring it back to simple ideas, what it means in practical terms is guys striving to use seduction and pick up and sex and some kind of mechanism, whatever it is, to to fix their broken ego, as opposed to the other operating system, which is when you're just like, I'm just going to fucking have an adventure and not give a fuck because I'm a free dude and I just want to, I, I love pleasure, I love creating, I love challenge, I love like doing things that are going to push my limits. So. Of course, I'm going to go out and see what happens when I do something kooky. And it's a different kind of operating system also from the sense of like, if you can catch it sometimes, it's like it starts coming from the inside out. You can feel the kind of inspiration driving you from the inside out. And that just kind of comes up through the body out. And that's more of a, I guess it's more of an embodied kind of expression as opposed to this kind of other thing of like, I need to like, you know, like create the thing and then try and jam it in and then tell it to fucking happen in the world. And it's much more of like this clunky, like, controlling ego mechanism as opposed to like, oh, what happens when I just open the doors, dissolve my limitations of what I think I am and invite possibilities whilst I'm still kind of like, I'm consciously here, I'm allowing my ego to give me information, but I'm just not allowing it to be this like emperor of my experience anymore. It's fascinating for us because we, we spend a lot of time on microphones listening to the first interactions of, of men approaching women. Mm. And we see all like, because I don't know how many guys we've done that with hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands now. Mm. Unlike every other human on the planet who doesn't <laughs> spy on people picking up girls, <laughs> most people only get their own personal experience in hearing the stories of their buddy. Mm. But we, yeah, we really get to see that the, the responses that women have unconsciously, just like on a visceral kind of mm. animal or, or vibe level mm. when men go in with all these different things, mm -hmm. right? So we see guys who go in with that, like, sometimes they're really good at what they're doing, like, but, like running their rap, like mm. doing their thing and like... Mm. Working it, mm. 
And sometimes it's kind of good. And like the girl might be like charmed or a bit bamboozled by it, but it's like so clearly this guy's doing this thing, mm. performative thing to this other separate thing. And then she's assessing, does she like it or not? Mm. And then you get, sometimes we get those students who just kind of have this lovable vibe and they, they might go in and be a bit bumbling or say the wrong thing or, you know, their posture's not good or something. Mm. But women just melt with them mm. because they don't have so much, they don't have that attachment to like, I have to be this thing. I'm doing this thing to be this thing. And if she sees me as that, then, I've, then I'm successful and then I've held ground and I've held that mask mm. in place. Mm. And if not and she pokes a hole in it or just thinks it's a, a mask, mm. then suddenly, you know, that shatters my ego or that's a real affront to me personally because if she thinks that shit or fake, then that's me being shit and fake because I haven't yet reached a position where I can step back and go, oh, that performance is not me. Mm -hmm. It's not, it, that, okay, I was doing all this performance and maybe I don't need to work as hard. Mm. You know, maybe I could just do way less of a performance and, and more of a like, okay, just reaching out and, mm. and then connecting with somebody. Mm. But when you're so stuck in there, like I need to do mm. in order to be, it's very difficult to just allow yourself to be all these other possibilities. Yeah, it's a painful feedback loop for sure. And, and it's instant. For, you know, that's where we get to see it over and over again where the guy goes in and the girl's like, no, no, not that. Don't mm. want to deal with that. Mm. Uh, whereas many, obviously over the course of the workshop, we see them as they drop their masks and relax and are not so invested in being in her perceiving you as something specific because mm. you know, so much of that tension, internal tension is that you're so invested in the other person, in this case, the woman you're attracted to mm. perceiving you as something and so terrified of her seeing through the mask and mm. seeing that there's some other ugliness underneath which you've been hiding. And that's what you again, like one of the reasons we sit on the cushion is to face that ugliness first and to right. come to peace with it and to, and to wrestle with it and to be okay with it. And, and to then in many ways, even, uh, not defend it and not even be afraid of it. You know, just let it be part of the let it be part of the self. Let it be part of the experience. Uh, and I think that yeah, because something that also uh, that we just enter into is a kind of a funnier side to that as well. It's also important to not just be a dude who puts yourself in front of a woman and then just like stares at her with presence and then just like expects like magic to happen. Either. Oh, yeah. So that can because it would then because we need to be aware of a kind of a fine line here. Like and when we look at the progression of yet again what we do in training and how this you know things often plays out for guys. It's like the best way to do it is to, you know, first of all, just activate yourself in the role. It's like, okay, I'm going to activate myself in my role as a social person. Now I'm going to see like what's going on. So we start seeing what's actually showing up on the radar. How is your experience? What are your strengths and weaknesses or retardednesses or, or, or powers? What do you or react whatever? to? What throws you suddenly? Yeah. And because and, then you're going to actually like measure the truth because it can be easy to think that you know what's going on, but you haven't actually tested it in reality. So you should test in reality. But obviously then as we test in reality, then we start to get feedback of like what's going on with guys. And then we have, there is a level of like understanding like structure. And I would say this actually does also apply to meditation in the sense there is a level of effective meditation that is about understanding structure. So, and we start with the simple structure of like aligning the body, for example, or you could say also the, the, uh, in a lot of Buddhist traditions, they'll have this kind of like uh, alignment of the right kind of attitude first before. So you, you'll sit and you'll make an alignment. Like I'm going to dedicate my practice to this for this time, aligning myself. Cool. I'm locked in. I'm going to sit like a king. Boom. Oof, like I'm on. And then it's like you go into this kind of very strong. Like it's a, it's a very intentional thing. It's not like oh, I'm going to meditate. Like, all right, I'll just fucking hang out here for a little while. It's very like strong, dedicated practice. Uh, and that structure then benefits this uh, process. Like it benefits this kind of transformation throughout all the, the levels of yourself and eventually it will get to the point where sitting will become more intuitive it'll become more relaxed it'll become more automatic and maybe you'll even get to the point where you can meditate all the time without even necessarily meditating you can have like dedicated deep sits going in to explore specific things but you can also have this kind of this increasing amount of background meditative uh, you know, what, we, what you kind of, which we can bring into the conversation, this idea of like frequency versus noise kind of thing. It's like you start to get more aligned to like the actual like frequency of your truth, the frequency of your underlying nature, the frequency of yourself. And, you know, many, many benefits that come about from that. Like you, you start to feel more comfortable in yourself, your self-worth increases, your body feels generally more comfortable, you feel physically more relaxed, you transmit and telegraph relaxation and peace and calm to people. If you learn how to then relax yourself on deeper levels, then you can, you know, also start to invoke emotions in other people like love or charisma or humor or fun or, or power or, or authority or you can train, like you become a powerful transmitter for these different essences inside yourself. And, and one thing on that, it's interesting that when you mentioned the don't run in front of girls and like stare at them like as some hippie guru hoping that's going to win them over. It's like, and uh, <laughs> I've certainly experienced things like that when, we're, when you're with conscious people or woke yep. people that there's a lot of that like 
you need to do spirituality like I do it, and that's and I'm going to give you a 10 second hug. Mm. Right? So it's like, what's actually? I think what's happening there. I mean, sometimes someone's so just so blissed out they can't help but be blissed when or whatever. Mm. That's I, sure. I mean, I, I've had those. Yeah, if it's genuine, I've that's had those fine. experiences. But I think also like then it often with those people it's a shift of like I need to transmit this truth that I now have to you in this particular way. Mm. But people don't people won't hear it. It's like and so I think when you look at seduction as well. It's not about like long stares and like extra long handshakes or, you know, talking deeply to the girl about her life's purpose or something. Sometimes it's just like being able to say, uh, like being really cheeky and, and abrasive straight away because you go in and the girl gives you a cheeky, vi- cheeky response or look. Mm. And because you're intuitive, because you're actually on the level with her and you're, mm. and you're reading the situation, the right thing to say is, hey, come over here, you little brat. Mm. Whereas, you know, with another with another girl, the right thing to do would just be simple and polite and, mm. and so on. Mm. So it's like so much of the nuance, the art form that takes you from a guy who's going and doing your pre-frame and your opener and your mm. GSP, like kind of textbooking your way through an interaction, what then turns it into art or, or this natural style is the ability to be present, mm. to be able to read the other person's micro cues and verbal cues, to be able to emanate a certain type of calm or mm. uh, let's say invo- invoking or inviting the person into that space mm. and then working with a language that works for them mm-hmm. you know, so that you can see that this girl okay she responds to this kind of language or this kind of tonality or this kind of pacing mm. or this level of intensity spiritual intensity or sexual intensity mm. intensity and if i just have like one level of like i am the conscious aware intent machine mm. then i'm going to freak out girls just as much as i would if i'm trying to like do my game on them well, the important thing to remember here is what's the difference between doing spiritual things or doing awareness as opposed to like actually being aware. Right. And uh, you see that with guys who say, I do a lot of personal development. Yeah. I'm doing a lot of personal development. I go to a lot of seminars. Yeah. So because and once again, because there can be a lot of compensation inside of our egos and that's part of getting honest with ourselves. It's part of the process of meditation and different people at different stages need different levels of that as well. Some people are very intensely wrapped up in their like, their neurosis, their neurosis, you know, their psychosis, you know, and we've all got it. I mean, we've all got neurosis and we've all got feedback loops of stuff going on, but you know, it's more intense for some people for various reasons. And we need to learn how to, you know, deal with that. But the point is that I was going to bring back to what we're saying before is that, yeah, we take guys through that experience, but then ideally what happens is we start to give them a series of trainings, like structural training pieces, right? So this is what this is, like this is how you do the preframe. this is how you open, this is how, and then start to, to build increasing amounts of spaciousness and choice and intuition into each of those blocks. So it starts with the simplest thing of like, you know, open, connect, close. It's like, okay, cool, can you do that? Let's try that, all right? Now, right, you do that, okay, now let's like see if we can be like creatively open now, okay? And now let's open up the connection with a little bit more qualification and let's explore this a little bit more with what is actual like connecting so we can close with a meaning as opposed to just like going through the motions of like, oh, well, yeah, I got the number, I did the thing. It's like, well, did you really? I mean, it's like get the goal, not the number kind of principle. Get the, you know, follow the actual process rather than just get stuck in the mechanics of it. So I think that starts to change the thing. And, and as you start to open up those, those realms of, of increasing intuitive skill and, and feedback, then uh, yeah, ideally you will hit a kind of a flow state. You'll be able to get into these flow states. And I think what can really start to happen, it's one of the most powerful things that happens from any good quality consciousness work is you start to be able to unravel your glitches and you start to trust yourself. So it's almost like in, in its ultimate form, uh, I think a human being is a creative, a synchronistic creative machine. We just kind of like find ourselves in the right place at the right time, tending to do the right thing, tending to say the right thing, be in the right place, provide the right thing, just kind of be part of this intuitive feedback system of, of life. And obviously the more versatile and flexible and skilled and, and well-trained our ego is, uh, uh, and more capable we've trained ourselves to be in our nervous systems, then the more effective we can be with our intuitiveness. As in we're reading the environment better, we're picking up on cues that other people wouldn't, we're seeing opportunities, we're hearing the, what's said between the lines, we're noticing when, when people have tendencies that you're like, that person's going to fuck me over later in life, or, uh, or now's a good time to cross the street because mm-hmm. those dudes down there look like they want to punch my head in. You know, all of those things which in terms of intuition, mm-hmm. which is re- I think really it's, it's just really absorbing a lot more information and, and filtering information in ways that a lot of people don't. You know, yep. Sorting out frequency and noise 
recognizing when a person and an opportunity is something that I should follow or when, when it's not. Mm. Right? So all of those things, those micro choice points that you're going about every single day have massive effects on the overall, overall trajectory of your life. Yeah, massive, of course. Yeah, so I think, you know, definitely trying to get into more of that yeah, intuitive space and the creative space and, and allowing more of that to be active inside yourself is, is a super magic ingredient. And I mean, for example, one of the things that I often do with guys as we go through this kind of process is I try to take them through a series of different tones of themselves. So it's almost like, like, what's it like when, okay, you can stop somebody and you can, you can say something and then you can go for a close. But what's it like when you stop somebody with a very clear intent that you want to give them a positive energy? Like you want to really give them some, some kind of compliment, some kind of meaning, some kind of like, I'm, I'm here to like offer you something from a place of abundance. Not because I'm trying to get anything, because I just, just wanted to stop you and like say, awesome thing. Like you look cool or I just wanted to say you have a good energy and I wanted to give you some good energy, you know, like this kind of feedback loop. And that can be, once again, I wouldn't say that's like, that's not the only channel to operate on yeah, when you want to be like social. it's not like a seduction technique. It's like, okay, looking at what's, what's it like to go into this from that place of blessing and giving as opposed to trying to take or, or various other ways you can go. So what it. can happen as an example, as a result of that kind of practice is, is maybe a guy who might've been shut down on his heart level starts to experience flow in his heart level. And then the interesting thing is because he starts having that aspect of his interaction available to him, then he doesn't even necessarily have to use it because he unconsciously knows that he has it there. And because there's a little bit of an interesting thing where as long as you are, you know, using aspects of yourself on a fairly regular basis, you will start to embody those essences. So women will just feel, and this is what I think that women really want. Women want a well-rounded archetypal man. Like they want a man who's centered in his ego and he's conscious of himself, but he can also take them on a whole range of different flavors of experience from being like, you know, soft and sensual and being very like in, in a kind of empathetic uh, engagement or from being like very much in a, in a kind of an open receptive kind of like, you know, being in her world and, and, uh, and, a, and, and pulling her close kind of position or play, playing the polar opposite of being the authority, being the challenger, being the, like the director, being the, um, you know, the, the one that is, is outside and is a little bit kind of like, I'm doing my thing and I'm closed and I need to like do what I need to do because I'm, I'm a man or whatever. Which may like sort of infuriate her and she might come clamoring to try and get in, but actually she needs that as well to see that uh, you're a man who's autonomous. Like right. that you're not a man who's now like totally dependent on her feminine nature to feel okay. Right, exactly. So yet again, to bring it back into kind of the meditative aspect is like the meditation is a huge uh, key and tool and gift to learn how to observe and work with those different aspects of your archetypal self. And as we said, like, because you can get more distance from your typical reactive patterns of self, then maybe there's space for new possibilities. And particularly, you know, that's the huge, huge benefits of guys coming to do work with us that I see is that they get supported by a group of like, you know, typically on a workshop, there's like four or five, six, you know, trainers that, that of us all supporting them from different angles. And they're getting, they're not only are they being supported into this space of like, be aware, be conscious, be ready for change. It's also a lot of like, okay, now let's uplift you and like work on this particular angle of, of this feedback and then see how that works in the system. Okay. You got that cool. Now move on Now do this, now do this. So they get like a huge amount of versatility and flexibility in their character over a very short period of time because they're like tapping into our supply as coaches. It's like, try a bit of this. Who's like, you know, I can, I can, we can almost transmit some of that to them sometimes by setting up the right containers for them to have those kinds of experiences. And then once their nervous system registers a kind of a, an, an attunement or a frequency of like, oh, that's what it feels like to be a warrior. That's what it feels like to challenge. That's what it feels like to, to be like a little bit more um, direct in a woman's face or maybe the opposite. That's what it feels like to be soft. That's what it feels like to empathize. That's what it feels like to actually like listen and feel like who she is and what's going on inside her feelings as opposed to like, you know, being the abrasive strong guy all the time. And, uh, and yet again, I think a woman, when a woman feels that a man can offer her the, both the strength and the flexibility and the adaptiveness of his nature to, to be able to take both, take her on her, uh, an adventure as well as be kind of, you know, be a ride in the fact that you're on your own independent adventure. It's a very powerful dynamic. And then some people might be like, fuck, do I have to be this incredible Superman who is like, you know, alpha as fuck and totally solid in his own mission and can go out and hunt a bear by himself and be in the wilderness, but at the same time can, you know, caress and whisper poetry in her ear and be like the most intimate lover of all time. And, and you know, or it's not, uh, I think it's like, it's not that hard to be those, both, both those aspects really. Like, mm. When you're, when you're lost up in your own 
story or your own fears or whatever, then yeah, it's very difficult to be any of those things because you're really just in fear response, in reactivity, in self-preservation and scarcity, all those things doesn't really allow you to kind of like explore the totality of you as a man. Mm. But when you start to just even just get a little bit of space and go, okay, that I'm not that and I'm not that or I'm aspects of those things and I can start dabbling and trying different aspects out. Suddenly it's like, okay, just learning how to give a good hug mm. uh, and, uh, you know, be with somebody and look them in the eyes for 10 seconds, maybe a massive change. Mm. And that may be the thing that like for, you know, that you never did with your partners, but now you can do. And that settles a whole aspect of when every time you had a girlfriend who like felt insecure in the relationship and she needed to, you to just like give her a hug and be present with her for 10 minutes would have fixed it, mm. you know, instead of all of the drama and all the other disconnection, all the pain that came from you not being able to do that. Mm. Or on the flip side of it, just being able to say no to a girl, mm. just being able to say, oh, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go to your, your friend's lunch. Mm. Uh, when like throughout your entire life, you, you, you couldn't say no to a woman's request that she said was important mm. because you, your role is to be her doormat or to be her, you know, her Prince Charming. Mm-hmm. And just that once of just going, no, I don't want to do that one. And then I, and having that choice now to do that, suddenly that puts you in an echelon of male who is like, yeah, I'm solid in my purpose. And like, sometimes I don't want to go and hang out with your family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so totally. it's not like these, these don't have to be that you're the most integrated, perfect, actualized warrior monk, uh, mm. dude, but I mean, hit for, hit, shoot for it. Why not? Mm. Just overwhelm the chicks with it. Just, she's like, I just, I just wanted you to be able to give me a hug and, <laughs> and, you know, like tell me no sometimes like, no, I have become a God. Um, <laughs> work towards that for sure but it's more that like women once you take once you give a woman like the taste of true the true masculine thing that she's after then all of that other stuff that men spend their entire lives working for which kind of does matter when that's all you've got right Mm. status money position brashness authority sounding all those things that like if you don't have a clear um relationship of joy and love with yourself mm. that you'll need some some other thing to compensate mm-hmm. but when you, you know on the flip side of that when you learn to become a much more flexible human being and you understand some of these basics of like okay these are the elements of masculinity and presence that a woman responds really well to mm. uh and here's here are the, and here are some of her like explosive and volatile aspects that i'll need to deal with and vice versa mm. and i'll learn to navigate that it's not that complicated mm. and so it means that you can with ease comparatively mm have you know fulfilling relationships good sex life you can navigate through decisions in a much more clarified way and you're enjoying the experience as well mm. yeah i agree and i think it, it, just to reiterate I mean, it's it's not about having absolute access to the uh you know full range of the archetype it's just about having some access to the right. archetype it's like you just have to be able to like challenge her sometimes you know ask her some tough questions be able to say no like you said uh and that's a good start i mean uh and because I mean, we live in a, we live in a quite a homogenized kind of watered down society. Like the, the strength of people's characters and the potency of the archetypes inside of most people these days is not very high. So the good thing is you don't have to have this extreme standard. Then just out of interest, I mean, the weakest archetype in our current context of masculinity is being a warrior, because that's the one that's most feared generally out of the kind of thing. So I think the one that we typically see a lot of when it comes to guys coming to trainings is feeling uncertain about how to express power, how to understand power, how to work with power. When, when I say power, what I mean is uh, the ability to have authority over yourself and the ability to be able to assert your authority, your boundaries, your will in the world. Because a lot of guys have a lot of shame around like, what does that mean? What does that, what does that, uh, yeah, what impact will that have? Because there's a lot of negative association with particularly with like potent masculinity, like authoritative masculinity. And in many ways, we've been kind of you know, indoctrinated into this fear mongering around that particular side of our masculinity and women as well. So reclaiming healthy relationships with that and learning to bring that back into the, the cycle of your personality um, so that you can have more of that edge if you need and when you need uh, is very important. Uh, and the thing yet again, just to bring in another key point about meditation as well is like the more you want to play with shadow if you want to play with shadow if you want to be working on yourself you want to be like integrating aspects of yourself you want to be exploring either your pain side in terms of your traumas your difficulties your blocks or you want to be exploring your dark side in terms of like where's what's your power that you want to bring through whether it be learning to work with authority or domination or yeah choice taking power ego all these kinds of things then the more you want to work with those energies, the more you really need to have the counterbalance of understanding like the truth of yourself, because 
then Otherwise it becomes corrupted and you get lost in it. Yeah, it's, it's like I guess it's like recognizing that there's a, there is a an incre- there's a higher level of power source available to you, but to to get to that higher level power source, you have to peel away the insulation. And as you peel away the insulation, then it's a lot more volatile. I mean, you can fry yourself and other people a lot more easily. So having that kind of awareness about how you're operating and uh, and yet again, it comes back to some of the themes and threads that we talked about earlier in the sense of trying to not get caught up in the feedback of thinking that your ego is doing this. It's like your ego is a participant in the process, but there's, there's something bigger that's, that's doing this, which is kind of your evolution, your process, your true self, your, you know, your, your deeper nature. So by working with the meditation, it, it starts to bring more and more of that basic essence there. And it's an interesting uh, thing to recognize is because in my experience, because the fruits of meditation are not tangible, even though they are very real. You know what I mean? In the sense that like, it can be hard, especially when you're first starting to meditate, guys often think like, what's the point? What do I get from it? You know, does it get me more girls? Am I going to get more, you know, am I going to be more attractive? Like, am I going to make more money? Like, what's the thing that my ego can gets? Learn, does it mean I can do the James Marshall stare? Yeah, I hope so. Like, that, you know, what, what are the magic powers that I get from working with this thing or benefits that I get to my ego? And that's a very like ego approach. What's in it for me? You know, how do I kind of do this? Whereas one of the things that meditation is often kind of pointing towards is that that's that's an error of of the of your perception of approaching the, the the practice in the first place because in some sense the practice is showing you how your perception about desire is uh, something that you need to, be, to to become aware of it's something that you need to gain awareness of so it's not necessarily about what do you gain as a result of doing this practice as much as is what are the underlying uh, shifts that start to take place as a result of this practice. Yeah. And I then, often think of it like it's becoming a conduit. It's like, and especially when you were talking about power earlier, it's like I've always felt that as I get more powerful, it's not actually me generating power and becoming like more excellently, evilly, perfectly good. It's that like because I have access to more opportunity, not just like physical opportunity, but I have uh, my mind is open to more possibilities. So therefore power, if that is information or connections or a sexual attraction with somebody or an insight into a, uh, into a nature of a certain aspect of reality or whatever, I just have more access to that and I have less resistance to it. Right, so it's like, and, and I guess I've built the infrastructure to hold the power, right, mm-hmm. which, which is, the, is what you're developing by your meditation practice or by your social freedom practice or by your lifestyle practices, mm-hmm. is that you have a structure that can deal with it and that you've removed enough barriers that are based around your own rigid perceptions or ideologies that just block certain pathways and then you're allowing yourself to just have this stuff move through you. Mm, absolutely. And then that kind of, once again, points back to that kind of, that uh, mysterious outcome of, of, being that intuitive, creative, intuitive person. You know, I mean, that, that's like in some sense the ultimate form of being a human being. It's just like you're just dynamically evolving, transforming, like being exactly whatever you need to be, intuitively responding, reflecting, relating. Real-time Darwinian evolution. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I mean, and I think, and, and it's good to keep in mind too, in the sense of like there, there is a broad spectrum of human potential um, from, you know, very, you know, simple kind of approach to, to your development all the way up to, like I said, more like, you know, hyperspeed kind of multidimensional stuff. So you can, you know, and it's good to even place yourself. I mean, for example, sometimes when I'm doing spiritual practice, it's really simple. I mean, in the sense, it's like really just like very, just being present to the very simplest things, the silence, the presence my sensations and my experience, you know, that noticing like simple, simple things that are in my environment. Just being purely present is, is a spiritual practice sometimes. And then there are other times when I'm like, you know, I'm entering into other dimensions and hanging out with different like thought forms and negotiating with deities and like, you know, like blasting aliens and all kinds of things can happen at different levels, depending on what kind of alignment am I in at that time? What kind of practice am I engaging in? Where's my paradigm? Where's the, where's the, the reality's paradigm in that moment? Uh, and, you know, I think it's about, you know, recognizing that this is the kind of fun of the whole journey as well. Uh, and, I mean, I totally respect and, and honor the fact that there is a lot to be said about doing very simple, repetitive, you know, particular practices like going in and doing surgery on yourself, doing the Vipassana kind of stuff. But then it is also very beneficial to have a wider range of experience. So doing some movement meditation, for example, doing some intentional meditation where you're like, it's about moving energy with an intent to do something as opposed to just passively being in the space of your awareness, for example. And I think ultimately the, like the truth is somewhere in between all of these moving parts. It's not like one thing or this is the way or whatever. It's about 
opening yourself to like, let's just hang out in the soup of meditation and, and my archetypes and myself and all these relationships and the exchanges between these things. And we just have to start somewhere. And the more we show up, the more we, it's going to teach us because the practice shows us, you know, as we do it more and more. Yeah, it's one of those rare things, I think, where you can, is endogenous the right word, where things are produced inside you? Endogenous, endogenous, yeah. I don't know about that one anyway. Well, I'm not going to stand by that word. I'm pretty sure that's the word. It's, it's one of the rare things where you can learn without input, right? So it's like you can't really think, you can't think yourself better at something really that you already know. You know, it's like, I mean, can I think my way around? Can I develop new skills by just thinking about them only to the extent that I can cobble together the old skills? Whereas meditation, it teaches you things that you couldn't learn by thinking about them or, or, or just by, by going about in the world and doing things. It's like this information which is so simple yet so profound and which is always hovering in the wings of your consciousness suddenly starts to, um, you, you suddenly start to get access to it from the simplest things of learning more about your body and how to align it through to the mechanisms of the pathways and the maps of how your reactions and your thought processes and your emotions and all that sort of stuff works, you know, through to the, the grander level understandings of the nature of life and um, suffering and the human experience and then to subtle micro levels of understanding energies, right? So it's like all of that information becomes available to you over time and over good practice simply by, by being and, and tuning into it. So I guess we'll wrap it up there. I had no idea where we'd go, but this is where we went and I'm happy with it. So thanks a lot, Shay. It's very late here and uh, we've been ranting a long time. James Marshall and Shay Matthews signing out. Thanks so much for listening to the Natural Lifestyles Podcast. Check us out on YouTube at The Natural TV. See you on the next episode.